I want to welcome Sarah Nielsen uh, to beautiful Park City, Utah. Uh, sunny Park City. Sunny Park City and sunny and warm and uh, from what I'm not used to being from North Carolina, not humid Utah, <laughs> which is wonderful. Uh, to, to really to discuss uh, hereditary testing and prostate cancer and, and a different perspective because uh, Sarah, you're uh, a genetic counselor and uh, working at University of Chicago, right? Mm -hmm. So you're in a, an academic situation and uh, different from what we normally interact with because urologists are not used to uh, dealing with genetic counselors is something new to us. So why don't you tell me, how, how have you seen that evolution come up uh, from dealing primarily on the breast cancer side or possibly on uh, prenatal mm -hmm. to dealing with old men? Yeah. Um, so I think urology is, um, this is a very new concept. Genetics is, um, you know, a new concept to incorporate for them. But um, as genetic counselors, I mean, we try not to silo ourselves. We're very interested in every possible disease that genetics impacts. Generally a pretty friendly bunch, so I feel like the urologists have um, have been amenable to our involvement in this process. And I really think they, they value, um, you know, learning about this through us, learning about the, how to do testing, how to talk to families um, through the experts, the, the genetics providers. Um, so, and particularly from an academic standpoint, you know, we've, we've had a lot of buy-in from urologists from uh, understanding this from a research perspective, mm -hmm. collaborating on studies. Um, we did develop about a year ago uh, a, a multidisciplinary clinic uh, with urology. So it's a, a clinic where we bring in high-risk uh, patients with prostate cancer, maybe with a family history or a, or a gene mutation, they're coming for higher screening and for treatment. And so a genetics consult is kind of baked into that um, appointment. And um, they're able to see the urologist, the oncologist, genetics, radonc, um, all at the same time. And so because the patients value that model so much, um, I think we've gotten a lot of um, um, support from the, from the providers too, because they see you know, all around it's a good, a good model and a good addition. The patients really appreciate the, the genetics aspect too. Now you're in, you're in the academic situation, so you have the resources to do that, the multidisciplinary clinics. Uh, there aren't a lot of you. Right. And I know there, there's more and more coming at, you know, being uh, certified in the programs. I, I, I'm guessing that there's more programs that are getting certified as well yeah. because there's such a need for them. But how do you see the education of the urologist in particular? Uh, I, I think we talked a little bit about that. We had three were in the city that I am at, and they couldn't access or gain, right. my patients couldn't get access because they were so busy. Right. So we're going to rely on you guys to educate us too and right. to help us. So wh where do you see that heading and, and do you see more genetic counselors coming out uh, and enough to, to handle the load or, or the education? Where is it going? Yeah. I mean, the field is growing um, exponentially, but there will never be enough genetic counselors to service all the patients There's that, that need testing. Seen, yeah, so. exactly. So I think we have to all like be open-minded, creative to how to expand our, um, our services and um, think about the best way to, to provide that education. So harnessing technology, you know, providing education, online modules for the physicians, also providing some um, educational videos for the patient for the patients are ways we can, um, you know, scale this. I think yes, we could say uh, genetic counselors or genetic professionals can do some grand rounds, you know, give a, that high level overview mm -hmm. to the urologist. But it's not till they figure out how to really incorporate it into their practice. And I think we are 
kind of responsible as a genetics community to help them do that if we want them to do it in the, in the right way. So we have to provide those resources and ongoing, I mean, we, you know, um, want to be able to help them set up the practice in their clinic and then, you know, be able to ch check in and, and uh, follow up and see what's working, what's not. Um, the, the labs that do the testing also have people who have that function who go in and help people set up their practices. So I think, um, you know, we are appreciative that the onus isn't all on us as the genetic counselors, yeah. that there's processes for this in place. And I think um, it is our responsibility, though, to give them the tools they need to succeed if we're going to ask them to do this. From your impression, the, there's two places where genetic counselors come into place. There's the pre-testing mm -hmm. and the post-testing. Um, because of the lack of numbers, just sheer right. numbers, um, from your impression, do you think it, the value is, is more in the post-testing, mm -hmm. counseling, and, and how to use the information for themselves and for the family? Uh, because I, it, the pre-testing stuff, I, I think I agree with you, you can do other things, whether it's online um, right. or, the, or the physicians or, or advanced practice providers can, can give the information because you don't have to inundate them with Right. Tons of information that comes right after. Right. I think that's how we've we've tried a couple of different ways of doing it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we also feel as as genetics professionals where we're adding the most value is when we actually have a piece of paper and we can know what your results are mm -hmm. versus spending so much time on the on the front end going through all the hypotheticals that this is where men and women are different. I mean, men actually. Um, they just want to know how is this going to impact me here and yeah, now. Give me the bottom line. <laughs> um, my doctor made me come. And um, wh why should I be doing this test? And of course they care about their family, but that's not the first thing that's coming no, to your mind. And they don't want to spend so much time going through all the hypotheticals of how this could impact their daughter's breast cancer. Isn't it my wife and my daughter made me come? Exactly. And then, and then it's my doctor made me come? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the value of having, having genetics providers on the front end is... Um, is in order to get them engaged in the process and to learn more about their family history. Mm -hmm. So we've talked a lot about, um, again, har harnessing technology, being able to send them out surveys ahead of their visits where they can, you know, talk to their wives and their daughters about who are typically the family historians to gather that, that information that will at some point hopefully get asked, whether it's a pre-test or post-test. Um, so we have a little better context for their genetic test results. And that's where genetics providers have experience gathering all that information. Mm -hmm. And and I think really the key where you do want to involve genetics is is on the back end in what we call cascade testing of family members. Mm -hmm. So we can ask urologists to, to do the test and we can even ask them to disclose the results. But it's a whole other um, beast or, or um responsibility to then get their families members in to to do testing if we find a mutation so mm -hmm. i think that's where um you know involving the genetic counselors in in the process at some point they're the ones who can help make this test relevant for not just the person in the front in front of them but for the rest of the family too uh, just as a procedural thing when i used to give guys information that they have cancer and I would make certain that they brought family members with them. Right. When you just did a typical consultation after you have the information and you bring them in for the first time and mm -hmm. they either know or don't know the, mm -hmm. their final result, who comes? I refuse to talk to a man about his cancer if he was alone. Right. Because the, I call it the Charlie Brown effect. They hear, want, want, want cancer. And right. they don't hear anything else you say. Is that right. typical that you see too? They always bring in the gaggle of family members? Not always, but I think it's, it is... Um it is typical. Um, I think that the men, not to make any vast generalizations, but um, <laughs> um, nothing per you don't take anything personal. You know, are a little less well informed about their own diagnosis or their or their prognosis. Um, so I think 
I think it is natural for them to bring their wife or, or even, you know, their children, whoever's around. But, you know, a lot of them um, don't always have that family support. So then it's the extra step of make, ha- helping them understand, okay, I don't have children maybe, but this is actually still really important for me because mm-hmm. it could impact how my doctor takes care of me. Because when you hear genetics, a lot of people um, just think about, oh, well, you just want to know the risk for my family. And I don't have a large family and I don't talk to them. So it's kind of the, it's kind of a two-fold, two-pronged issue. We have to help patients understand why it's relevant for their family and help them approach their family, but we also have to totally change the context of our counseling. It's mm-hmm. it's no longer just about your future cancer risks or right. your kids' future cancer risks. It's now helping them understand this is important for their for their treatment here and now. How do you find? Because some of my colleagues complain saying. You know, my, my patient wants to know because just that. He wants yeah. to know what I can do with this information and how it's going to affect me and my care. And I don't or I don't want my family. I don't want to worry them or burden them knowing that they're at higher risk. I mean, how often does that come up as, as um, a problem with the patients? I, I'll call it a problem because I mm-hmm. think it's, you know, if you care about your family, my feeling, and it's mine, and I can't put that on anybody else. But how right. often do you run into that situation? I mean, in terms of reasons people decline testing, that's one of the top reasons is they they um, they don't want to know themselves and they don't want to have the burden of having to tell their family members. That's where we also do a lot of educating. You know, it's not going to enter a, a, a man's mind with prostate cancer that his daughter's risk for breast cancer are actually is way higher than, you know, his son's risk of prostate cancer. Right. But as soon as you plant that seed, then it takes it might take a little more time to settle in and, and for them to understand that it is important. Um, but I think they just, they wouldn't have any context of knowing why this information is important for their daughters. And once you explain, I'd say most of them, especially if their wife's, you know, sitting next to them, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> come around. Um, but it, yeah, it just takes, um, I think it's just, we've learned how to kind of distill our counseling and mm-hmm. just really hit the high points and, and that's I feel like it was really resonated with with the the male population is just you know be very straightforward how does this impact me how could this impact my family but let's not go into too many of the hypothetical right. details um, and we also we say we'll we'll help you share this information with your family we're not going to cold call your family but we will provide uh, provide letters so we provide family letters where they can send them to their family without having to have the onus on them to, to explain what we found. All their family members have to do is contact us and we'll help them get genetic testing. Yeah. So I think it feels more burdensome to them, but once we sit down and explain that that's what we're here for. Right. And they understand, it more. I would expect from my experiences that they don't understand that their, their family is at a baseline risk. Yeah. And what you're telling them is, is there an additional right. risk to that? Right. That, the, that the fact that the test is, is negative does not necessarily exactly. mean that they have no risk of exactly kind of stuff. yeah so, I think that's so there's all these very tricky genetic concepts to explain you yeah. know even if your test is negative it doesn't mean that your sons aren't still at risk for prostate right. cancer so i think having a genetics provider um, at least on call or involved in like you said either the front or the back end is a value-added um, thing but we have to think about supplementing that mm-hmm. with technology or genetic counseling extenders, other individuals who can provide the information to the patient or, you know, having the providers or their um, mid-level providers, nurses provide that information yeah. too. And, and I think that kind of information is what scares the urologist right. into to wanting to do the testing is I can't, 
understand the subtleties of what you do as a career. Right. And I can't go into this and or I don't have the time to go into it or it's not my responsibility to go into it. And that's where, you know, you guys come in, you know, not just, you know, from either seeing the patient at a higher level or um educating us to be able to understand the nuances of this. Yeah. I want I want to change gears just a little bit here. Sure. Um a lot of things have emerged. Uh you have uh direct-to-consumer type things. The 23andMe's are out there, the Ancestry.coms mm-hmm. that can talk about, you know, we can give you some answers. And, uh, you know, some of these answers are good and some of them aren't. Um, but there's also, I know if they have a, a test, there, there's a requirement or, or you'd expect them to get more advanced or something like that. Can you just give me your, you know, your impression of, of what you're seeing with direct-to-consumer stuff and, you know, the, the pluses and minuses of this? Because there are, I'm sure, both. Yeah, I mean, starting with the plus is that it's engaging the general population in genetics awareness. and, and yeah. awareness yeah. and what and helping them to understand their risk. But um, understanding risk is such a um, spectrum in terms of what that means, and I think that's where um, we get into a little trouble with these companies because um, it's often a lot of, of false reassurance. Um, what they're being tested for, um, especially in the cancer realm with these clinical tests, are, are not at all comparable to what you would get as a, when you order a clinical genetic test from a physician. Um, so some patients may, may either believe their risk is falsely elevated because, because it's based on, um, on science, but not, not the evidence-based hard science that we're used to relying on to make medical decisions. Um, or they're getting they're falsely reassured because the the test is just not comprehensive and mm-hmm. it hasn't covered all of all of the things we would want to to do to really assess their risk yeah, if we were going to order a clinical test. And I think they don't do a good idea of saying if it's negative doesn't mean your risk is zero, right. like we were just right. talking about. Right. How often do you see somebody come to you with a positive? They slam it down. They go, Yeah. Now what? Yeah. You know. Um, I mean, in general, it's happening more and more. I would, I would say in the prostate world, it's, um, it, Zero. <laughs> it, it was, it's, I would say again, men are not as motivated, um, to have this information until they understand why they would need it. Um, but yeah, it happens a fair amount and, um, and patients, we just, I mean, it, we're not trying to make them feel bad that they did the test. I right. mean, it's, it's interesting and it's, but we just say it's kind of a little, it's fluff science. It's. It's science, but it's it's not um, anything that you should be making medical management decisions on, and it's it's really not evidence based. And um, so once we help them understand the limitations of that, um, I think that they're not closed off to the possibility of of more comprehensive testing. You just have to not shame them, but help them understand the limitations of the test. All right, I have one last thing I want to ask you is uh, going forward, what would you say to and I'll start with, I'll, I'll make this two-prong, so two more questions. Um, what would you say to a urologist who wants to test or is kind of on mm-hmm. the fence? And then what what advice would you give to patients on how um, active they should be in pursuing these kind of things, knowing a little bit about their family mm-hmm. or or just what they read about, the Angel- like people right. call it the Angelina Jolie uh, effect or, or some celebrities that come out and say, I right. did this kind of stuff. So so we'll start with the doctors. What advice will you give to me? Mm-hmm. Borderline, I'm deciding whether to start doing this in my practice or not. Mm-hmm. Let's start with that. You know. I mean, I think that um, we were talking about today that as soon as you have one patient where you can see the impact of this that mm-hmm. it has on that patient and their family members, 
um, you know, that's the, the best way to resonate with people doing it. But that's, those are just anecdotes. And, and really, to, to scale this, they have to kind of have a change in, in mindset about where medicine is going and realize that genetics is impacting every aspect of healthcare now. And this is um, standard of cares now and, and will become even more so. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's just they, every doctor wants to practice, you know, at the, at the highest level and be meeting all the standards. Yeah, and we always want to do what's best for our patients. Right. Yeah. And, and this is, this is one of them. And it's, it's nice because it's not just impacting your patient. You actually really get to impact a whole family and, um, and it's, it's valuable and patients appreciate it. And we, particularly the prostate cancer patients have been really, um, really amenable to this and really mm-hmm. appreciative of the process. So I don't think we can write men off and say they're not interested. They mm-hmm. are, just no one's approached them before. Right, it's new. Um, well, so, it's, you know, everybody's mind is like, oh, you know, genetics, no, that's just for breast cancer. Right. It has nothing to do with me. And now yeah. they're coming out and they're going, oh, no, yeah. it's us too. Yeah, the yeah. Angelina Jolie genes are also yeah. the prostate genes, which like blows people's minds. But when you frame it that way, puts a little more context. Well, I, I think the confusion comes when they're, because they're the breast cancer genes. Right. They're BRCA the, and they're not, the PRCA right. genes, and if they Which tweak is, to them and say, okay, they are the same, but we're going right. to call it prostate now, I think right. guys would open their eyes and go, ooh, I got to get tested. So. I mean, there's a lot of talk in the field about rebranding, uh-huh. and I think that Just that's, calling something more generic? Yeah. Well, you know, the hereditary uh, prostate, pancreatic breast ovarian cancer syndrome, it's not just breast ovarian anymore. Um, and it does do a disservice to um, relegating it to the breast cancer realm because- mm-hmm. A man doesn't want to go to a breast cancer clinic to get these genes tested, but they're just as relevant for prostate cancer. So, so. now, second part was, what do you tell you know the world, the, you know, the people out there about you know testing? Is in my mind, it would be get to know your family, know yeah. what's happened to them because it makes a big impact. I mean, now we're talking about you know foods causing this, and uh, there was a great paper that I read the other day about how you can decrease your prostate cancer risk by eating mushrooms. Um, but that's not going to change your genes. Right. Right. So, well, we also say genes are not your destiny. So right. um, we try to encourage, you know, other modifying factors that can help reduce your risk, diet, lifestyle, those those sort of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, we, we want to engage patients in knowing their family history. The fact is a lot of a lot of people don't know their families. They're right. they're disconnected or they have small families. And um, so a lot of mutations, genetic mutations we found are found in, in people without strong family histories. So we don't want to ignore that as a practitioner too. Um, but I think, it, you know, at least helping the patients understand why this is important information, um, and how it can impact their family members. And it's okay. You know, it's okay if you don't know your family, you have to tell mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, but we can, you're here, you're sitting in front of us. We can start with you. You can, you know, then empower the rest of your family. Um, but it's not just you, you know, you're partnering with your healthcare provider. It's not just you who then has to, um, figure out what to do this with this information. That's why we're here to support you through that journey. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining me and discussing this and, uh, enjoying the, yeah. know, the surroundings <laughs> and, uh, and I really appreciate you coming. Thanks thank so you. much. Bye.